Welcome to this episode of ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. First, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, or INSA. INSA is the leading nonpartisan association for driving public-private partnerships to advance intelligence and national security priorities. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm Katie, Editorial Communications Manager with ClearanceJobs.com, and today I'm joined by Matisse Wright-Springer, who in 1989 became the U.S. Navy's first African-American female flight officer, where she went on to serve on active duty for eight years. After transitioning from the military, she worked in the private sector, serving multiple contractors, serving as a White House fellow, as a principal director for the DOD, and now a vice president at Mantech, a $2.5 billion defense contractor in business for over 50 years. So Matisse, thank you for your service and for joining me today for this episode of Cleared Cast. Well, thank you, Katie. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you and your audience. For our non-military audience, could you explain your role in the U.S. Navy? Maybe some things our veterans from other branches may not know? Sure. So I served on active duty in the United States Navy. I uh, earned my commission from the Naval Academy in 1988, and I served on active duty until 1996. So for a total of about eight years, my service selection out of the Naval Academy was to become a Naval Flight Officer. So a Naval Flight Officer is a person that flies in airplanes performing Navy missions and navigating the aircraft or responsible for the mission that is assigned to that aircraft. And so I did that for for eight years. And when I earned my wings as a Naval Flight Officer, I was also recognized as the nation's first African-American female Naval Flight Officer. So the first person of color, woman of color, to uh, earn that rank and stature. Wow. So what was it like to be the first African-American female flight officer? I'm sure you encountered some obstacles, but uh, tell us more about that. You know, I'll just start off by saying, you know, flight school and just like any of the rigorous institutions that the uh, academies and the military has in place, you know, they can be challenging for most people. So regardless of, of your race or gender, they can be difficult. And in my case, I entered the Navy's flight school with the desire to learn how to fly airplanes. It was very simple. And um, I thought the greatest obstacle might be the rigor of the classroom. You know, I I didn't come into the Navy's flight school with any kind of private pilot's license or anything of that nature. So I really did need to learn how to perform at altitude. And that was the, the primary thing that I needed to learn while I was there in flight school. After being at the Naval Academy for four years, you know, I'd been in the classroom all four of those years, and I kind of saw the flight school as an extension of the classroom, and I thought that would be the the greatest obstacle, learning how to pass the written test, how to perform uh, in the simulator, and then to get in the aircraft and actually perform at altitude. I soon learned no African-American woman had ever successfully completed the Navy's flight curriculum that I was pursuing. And I I literally remember turning to one of my Naval Academy classmates, who was a a dear friend of mine, who happened to be a Caucasian male, because most of flight school at the time were white males. And I said, can you believe no black woman has ever done this before? And we both kind of put our hands up in the air like, whoa, that's that's uh, that's amazing. So that became a, a bit of an obstacle that I wasn't really prepared to take on. And I wasn't quite sure how to manage it. 
And I found myself having to also explain to some of my instructor pilots who were senior to me at the time what I was there to do, which was simply have them teach me how to perform in the cockpit so that I could go and fly Navy missions and serve our great nation. So that was an obstacle that was a a bit more of a challenge than I expected. It ended up that the classroom rigors of, you know, learning aerodynamics and learning the basics of flight became the easy part of uh, my new career path. And what became a little more daunting was to explain to most of my instructor pilots, actually all my instructor pilots were men, first what a woman was doing and especially what a woman of color was doing in the Navy's flight school. And, you know, I kind of make a joke about it. You know, I would literally say, you know, I'm in a flight suit. I'm sitting here. I've got my books. I'm with my classmates. You're here to teach all of us. So please just just treat me as a student and teach me how to perform in the cockpit so that I can carry out my mission safely and perform to the best of my ability. Moving from the classroom to actually flying a plane, what was that feeling like, especially not having a pilot's license, you know, entering the field? Sure. Yeah, it was daunting. You know, it's it's almost the, the way I kind of describe it to a lot of the kids that I talk to and, and, and adults as well. It's somewhat like, you know, when you get your driver's license. Yeah, you've been riding in the car with your parents or your you know, brothers or sisters, and you watch them drive every day, but it's nothing like actually getting behind the wheel and having to do it yourself. And that's exactly how it was for flight training for me. I had been on commercial flights uh, for family vacations and things like that, but I'd never actually been at the controls. And the initial aircraft that every aviator back then would start off learning to fly was called a T-34. And it's a small two-seater propeller-driven aircraft. And, And I remember walking across the taxiway, getting on the flight line, climbing up into the aircraft. And just the sensation of that was daunting. You know, before you get to the aircraft, you've flown that mission probably at least 40, 50 times in your head. And you've gone through simulators to train. You've done the classroom work. Actually getting in the aircraft to perform was extremely exciting. I also describe it as like your first roller coaster ride to people. You can't, you know, your friends can tell you about it. Hey, when you get up to the top, it's going to feel like this. But there's nothing like actually getting in the seat and, and having the experience to, to fly at altitude. Uh, so, and, and, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and it, it was a, a great opportunity for me to be able to perform uh, and serve our nation in that capacity. Wow, crazy experience indeed. So kind of moving on to your transition to the contracting world, a lot of clearance jobs audience and users on our platform are folks that are transitioning or out of the military are our veterans. So tell us about your transition, how that went for you. Yeah. So the transition for me from uh, the flight suit to the business suit, first of all, it happened a long time ago. So mid nineties for me. Uh, but what I recall from it was uh, initially it is a little daunting because any kind of significant change, like leaving active duty and, and becoming a contractor, you just don't know what you don't know. And so there's a little bit of discomfort with that. Uh, and one of the things I tell a lot of the young people that I mentor is, you know, you've kind of got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, and so, so that's a bit of advice that I would give to any uh, military person that's transitioning. But for me, the thing that has been common throughout my 30 plus year career Uh, to include the days when I was flying on active duty, is that I've always supported a national security mission in some way. 
And today at Mantech, we are a company that supports the defense sector, you know, the defense industry, the national security space. And so I continue to serve in something that I believe very passionately about that is super important for our nation. I'm a firm believer in, in the values of the United States and the democracy that, that I was willing to, to die for uh, on active duty. And so my transition to the private sector uh, has really been more of an extension of my operational military experience and those missions that I was flying in order to, back then it was trying to make sure we had the democratic values that we believe in in the Pacific. But now I'm at a private sector company, Mantech, uh, and, and I'm able to support our government cu customers who have a variety of different missions that support the national security space. So, so for me, it's been a, a relatively easy one because I feel like it's been not really a transition, but an extension. I get to use my operational experience from being actually airborne to now working on some policy things that I feel very firmly about uh, that support national security. And I'm doing both of those things in a private corporate environment. Sure. So your current job in public policy, and you obtained a master's in public administration from Harvard. So I'd love to hear more about your role at Mantech, safeguarding the nation to, you know, help shape public policy. Yeah. So today I am the vice president of government and corporate responsibility at Mantech. And you're right. I did start my career flying in the Navy. And then after I left active duty, I, I returned and, and earned a master's from Harvard's Kennedy School and became very enamored with public policy. I also have a master's from Johns Hopkins, an MBA with a finance concentration. One of the reasons I pursued the public administration degree at, at Harvard was because I, I remember being so frustrated as a young lieutenant with all the four years of training at the Naval Academy and then the training in flight school and you get to the aircraft and all you want to do is go fly, but you can't because there's some policy that says you can't go fly. And so from my operational years of flying, I soon became curious about public policy and how I might be able to contribute to that part and to help our government with some of the policy initiatives that shape the actions of our operators, our warfighters. So in my current capacity, I get to dabble in both. I get to hear from our customers in the national security space and learn what some of their issues are. I also get to work with congressional leaders and staff about what the policy needs to be to allow those warfighters to have the competitive advantage that our nation needs them to have. And then I'm doing it from a corporate perspective because it's the private sector that can help both of those arms of industries do the kinds of things that our nation needs for the security that we all believe in. Industry, government, working together to shape public policy, that's certainly something that's very important in national security. And that's something, actually, it's a great segue. INSA, the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, is always trying to promote. And you recently introduced one of their segments on diversity, equity, inclusion. What is the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in our nation's military, government, and industry? Yeah, I find diversity, equity, and inclusion to be paramount. I strongly believe that, for example, with, with naval aviation, the fact that an entire race and gender of people had never been able to contribute to that very noble profession 
I found that to be, it just, it would make me shake my head to think that no black woman had ever been able to do what I did, um, because I do think that I've helped change. And, and it's not just me alone. I stand on the shoulders of many people that paved the way to give me the opportunities that I've had. But in naval aviation, I believe that I did contribute a different perspective. I brought a different voice to the table. And I think that difference has made us stronger. And to me, diversity is about embracing difference. And, uh, you know, when I was uh, in the cockpit, there was always a, a crew. You had your flight crew, and it's, it's a limited number of people. You know, you've got four or five people in the cockpit. You've got people in the back of the aircraft, and all of them are part of a team. To be exclusive of any of those team members, I just think it makes the team weaker. Uh, I'm also a big athlete. You know, I believe in using, you know, I was watching the NBA finals and if it's five on five, you need all five players. So to be inclusive of each of them, to recognize the values that each bring to me is what diversity, equity and inclusion are all about. And I think not only is it important in the military, it's also important in government and it's also important in the private sector. You know, some of the challenges that we as a nation face, be it 5G, and pardon me for being uh, so technical, but uh, this time last year, I was a technical director at Mantech, uh, and my background tends to be more science and math driven. Some of the challenges that we face from potential foes like China, Russia, whoever it might be, that are technology driven, you know, with 5G and with artificial intelligence, machine learning, cloud. All of these things, I think, are going to demand that our workforce, especially because these national security issues are so complex, they're going to demand that we have diversity of opinions and thinkers at the table to help come up with the right kinds of solutions. Uh, and when I think of diversity, I mean everything, men, women, LGBTQ, people that are on the spectrum even older generations, younger generation, multi-ethnicities. You know, the experiences that I bring as a woman of color are different from those that are not women of color. And if that can be the, the one little thing that gives us a competitive advantage in our solution or differentiator that changes the magnitude of the solutions that we provide, I think that's paramount. Yes, I, I could not agree more. I think here in the United States, uh, you mentioned a few of our adversaries, and I, I think it's important to have that diversity of all of those different things you listed to help us stay competitive and stay innovative in you know developing solutions. Like you said, what do you hope a young African-American females who might be interested in the military or national security, what do you hope they gain from your story? Yeah, so, so what I hope is that... Um, in short, that they see themselves when they hear my story or when they see my picture or, uh, you know, when they look online and see something about Matisse Wright Springer. So what I hope these young people see, and not just the young people, but all people, um, hopefully my story can inspire people to just pursue their dreams and to be courageous about it, be bold about it. Like I said earlier, I have not just done all of this by myself. I stand on the shoulders of, of many that, that have pursued some of the same things that I've had success with, and maybe some of those pursuits were not successful, but they've helped me in a way. I'll never be able to thank all those people, but certainly I've been the beneficiary of it. For the young folks that might hear my story, I just... Uh, I'd never seen a, a, a black woman in a flight suit until I put one on. And 
And I, I think it's, it's um, if some young black woman or a little girl sees, sees my picture in the flight suit or sees me giving a talk in a business suit, I hope they feel like, hey, one day I want to do that too. I want to do that and more because there's so much more that our nation needs from all of us. Um, and, and hopefully they can just go down the path that I've blazed and make it even wider. Uh, and make it more inclusive of all people so that, like I said earlier, the solutions that we provide are things that can help all of us. You know, all of us are dealing with COVID-19, and obviously there is no one that has a solution for that. Uh, maybe a young woman who's studying chemistry or something today might have that solution. Uh, so I want uh, the message to be that people are encouraged, they're inspired, they're motivated to go and do something that's never been done because our nation can benefit greatly from exactly what they do. That's beautifully said. And uh, I got chills when you said you didn't see a black woman in a flight suit until you put one on. And I think that's really important for the next few generations that are interested in national security, but it may not, the workforce has maybe not looked like them. And I think that's important to encourage the diversity and inclusion that, like you said, can greatly benefit our country. Absolutely. And I think the additional message that I might share is that the thing that's kind of helped me is, first of all, if you, if you have a dream, just being courageous about pursuing it. I call this my three C's, you know, having the courage to do something, being confident about what you're doing, and then committing to it. Once you start, you can't stop. And you've got to push through it. Even if there are doubters or people that don't quite understand what you're doing, you've got to take the extra step and put the extra energy in to explain to them. You know, I was talking to a young lady who's in college and I said, you know, if it means you have to read that paper one more time to make it read a little bit better, then do that. Put the extra energy into it. Stay committed to it. Be courageous and be confident. So those are things that I think we all need to try to be better tomorrow than we are today. And that's something that I will continue to do in my own personal pursuits. And if more people can kind of be inspired to do that same thing, it's a rising tide that can lift all boats. So pardon the, the Navy pun there. but <laughs> <laughs> You had to. You had to. Yeah. Well, so, you know, speaking of your military career, I ask everyone I interview this question who served in our nation's armed forces, uh, and because I haven't really traveled that much. Uh, so what is your favorite location that you were stationed and why? Yeah, so so my favorite duty station was my first duty station, and it was the Naval Air Station, Barbers Point, Hawaii, which mm. is on the, on the island of Oahu in the Hawaiian island chain. And I mean, literally, it's like perfect weather for flying. It was a great place to fly because you're over the ocean almost immediately because it's an island. So it's pretty safe. Absolutely paradise on earth. And when I wasn't flying back then, when I was a, a young officer, I was a big runner. And running around the island, going down to Waikiki Beach and running on the ocean. I mean, it was just, mm -hmm. you know, the best of all worlds. So I absolutely loved being in Hawaii. And, and of course, I, I loved it because, I mean, literally walking out to the aircraft, you've got your flight information, your flight bag, you're in your flight suit, you've got your helmet, your gear and everything. You're walking across the taxiway, climb up the ladder, get in the aircraft 
pushing the throttles up. I mean, that's, that's, uh, and you literally can fly above the island and see it disappear as you're doing missions across the Pacific. So Hawaii was absolutely one of my most favorite places, favorite duty stations. For sure. Sounds gorgeous. And you are certainly much cooler than me. I had an image of you walking out to your aircraft, certainly much cooler than myself. Well, I, Matisse, I really appreciate you joining me today for this episode of Cleared Cast. To learn more about Mantech, folks can visit www.mantech.com. Thanks again, Matisse. I really appreciate you joining me. Well, thank you, Katie. This has been a pleasure. All the best. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Cast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.